It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Chief. Here's your host, Matt Derry. Happy New Year to all, and welcome into Wired, the Pistons podcast, as we talk about your Detroit Pistons and what has been a, a tough stretch of games for this team, but a big-time victory for this club, a much-needed victory on Wednesday night, as we record this on Thursday, January 3rd, 2019. Can you believe we're into 2019? But thank you for joining us, everybody, and, and listening in today as we do our weekly look at the Detroit Pistons here on Wired. Our guest, coming up in a little bit, I'll talk to Vinny Goodwill. Vince now has gone national on us. He is the national writer. He is the main guy when it comes to covering the NBA lead columnist for Yahoo Sports. Vinny Goodwill covering the entire NBA now. We'll get his thoughts on the Pistons, the league, LeBron James saying he's the GOAT. All of that coming up in a little bit right here on Wired. Again, I mentioned Wednesday night, a must-have for a team that had dropped 12 of 15 Ever since going back to the Golden State game on December 1st, the Pistons had hit a bit of a roadblock. As you know, you guys are Pistons fans. You watched this team. It had been a struggle as they had really hit a rough patch and not played very good basketball, especially on the defensive end. But on Wednesday night, in a game they really wanted to have and really needed on this four-game road trip to scratch once, to go into Memphis and get a 101-94 victory, I thought was pretty tremendous. And, and it tells you a little bit about Dwayne Casey, his leadership, Blake Griffin, and what they're bringing to the table in keeping the guys playing hard amidst the injuries. Is Smith out, uh, Stanley Johnson out, Glenn Robinson the third out. And, and this club scratched and clawed and got a big-time road win. Hopefully now it can, can, can propel them uh, to a nice little run here as they get ready to go next week out to the West Coast. Games of the likes of the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, Sacramento, um, etc. One thing I wanted to get into, and you guys know me, I've covered this team for a very long time, and I mentioned to you when we started doing Wired here, and I appreciate Diane and the crew at the Pistons for bringing me back. I'm not going to pull any punches. If this club is not playing well, I'll tell you, and if this club is playing well, I'll tell you, and I'll point out what I see, and, and Vinny will do the same in a little bit when we join in on that conversation. But, but, but I think we got to make something very, very clear. And I want to make something very clear here. Um, what Blake Griffin is doing right now for this basketball team, all right, at age 29, in playing nine years in the NBA, is remarkable. Blake Griffin is averaging 25 a game, nine rebounds a game, and five and a half assists a game. Last night he took two more charges, numbers 16 and 17. His 17 charges lead the NBA. This is not some defensive specialist that's brought in to move his feet at age 24, 25 that gets in people's way and makes the league minimum or or, or is on some sort of mid-level deal. This is a max contract player pulling in a lot of money, easily the highest contract on the team. And he leads the NBA in charges. If you if you watch him on the court and you're you're paying attention to it, whether you're at Little Caesars Arena or you're checking the games out on Fox Sports Detroit, you see he's got scratches, he's got welts, he's got bruises all over his body. He's carrying this team, and they're in the playoffs right now. If the season were to end today, the Pistons are currently in that eighth spot at seventeen and nineteen. And I'll talk about this with Vince in a little bit. But there are three tiers in the East. There are the top five teams, there are the middle five teams, and then those bottom five teams. And the Pistons are in the middle right now. But the reason they're there, and there's a lot of reasons. Dwayne Casey's done a whale of a job. 
All right, when they can get their shooters going, when Galloway gets hot, Bullock gets hot, Kennard gets hot, they've won some games. But what number 23 did in that Motor City jersey on Wednesday night and what he's been doing all year is remarkable. And there's a reason why he's sixth in the fan voting for the All-Star game for front court players. He'll be there regardless whether he starts or not. But Blake Griffin, he's just he's such a leader. He's reinvented his game now a couple of times, and he's just all over the floor. If you saw last uh, on Wednesday night, the first couple of, uh, of quarters, quiet offensively, still setting things up, the ball still going through him, and the offense has run through Blake. But diving for loose balls, getting down on the floor, pushing and shoving defensively, doing whatever he can, it, it's It's tremendous. And another 26.8 rebounds, 7 assists, night, 2 steals. Didn't turn the ball over in 39 minutes. The free throw percentage, I think he would tell you he wants to be better, 2 for 5. But all of the talk about, oh, is Andre uh, involved? And is he, is he, you know, is he into the game? And, and Reggie Jackson, is he a point guard? Can this work? All that talk. Put it aside for a second. I hope Pistons fans and you guys listening can appreciate the kind of effort, the kind of results you're getting from Blake Griffin. And the 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 the, the narrative of, well, he used to be a star, he's not anymore. BS. He's a star. He's playing like it. Does he fly through the air and jam the ball down like he used to? No. Is he jumping over cars and Kias like he used to? Uh-uh. Can't. There's a lot of tread on that tire. But man, oh man, he is just willing this team to victories and keeping them afloat in games that they're not competing in and maybe they're not competitive in. Last Sunday against Orlando when they lost by two on the uh, uh, you know Fournier shot, it wasn't Blake's great greatest night. But he's keeping you in games with the hustle, the intensity, the leadership, you're watching him being accountable, right? When the team plays poorly, he's in. He's always near a microphone saying, hey, we need to be better. Listen to his coach, Dwayne Casey, from Wednesday night, uh, talking about Blake Griffin leading the NBA in charges. And Dwayne, the Pistons head man, echoes my sentiments a little bit. Listen to this. That's huge. You know, for your star player to put his body in harm's way to take a charge is huge. And uh, he sets the tone with that. We've got to get more people to do that. There's more opportunities. Everybody has a chance because we really don't have shot blockers other than Andre. So the best way to deter that, if we're going to run him off the three-point line, is to take a charge. And Blake's one of the best in the league, as his numbers show, at doing it. There's a head coach, Dwayne Casey, and he's, he's spot on. All right? They don't have a ton of shot blockers. They've got some guys, unfortunately, at least have gotten into a rut over the last couple of weeks, of not playing hard enough on the defensive end, hence Friday night's game, last Friday night's game in Indiana, when the team got uh, ransacked by the Pacers, giving up 125, where Coach Casey had to come forward and basically apologize to you, the fans. He knows that some guys have given a lousy effort over the last couple of weeks. So that's where your star player has to kind of set the tone, which he's done. And now you hope this, like I said, springboards this team 
into playing a little bit harder, playing a little bit better, and giving that kind of effort night in and night out. But I love what Blake Griffin's doing right now, and, and I wish more guys on the roster would do it. Now, not all of them are capable of, of, of passing the ball like Blake does, shooting the ball like Blake does, being as physical as he is. Not everybody has the, those gifts. But there are plenty of players that have that arsenal but don't give the kind of effort on the defensive end. And that's where the Pistons right now have been lacking a little bit, hence they've dropped below 500. But, like I said, hopefully you get a below 500 Utah team coming in Saturday. You're going out on the West Coast, not not maybe playing some of the heavy hitters on that trip. Uh, you might be seeing the, uh, the Lakers without LeBron. You know Blake's going to want to beat his old team, the Clippers, etc. Uh, should make for an interesting stretch here for your Detroit Pistons. Right, we go national here on the podcast, and we go local and national. I don't know how you want to put this, but it's uh, great to hear this guy's voice once again. Senior writer for Yahoo Sports, the great Vincent Goodwill, the former Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News, covered the Bulls for a few years. Now he's uh, gone big time in Hollywood on us. What's up, Vinny? Hollywood, wow. I, I, I would love to be in Hollywood with the weather, but... Um... <laughs> Thank you for the intro, and it seems like it's been a long time since I covered those pitches. I know, man. How you been? I've been good, man. It's 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 a new thing covering the league as opposed to one team. Um, you get to you get to travel around. You get to basically chase you know whatever the big story du jour is. So that that's been pretty fun. But um, it, it's been interesting. It's it's different than covering the beat. You know, as, as you know, when you have to take more of a narrow focus, you have to take less of a narrow focus. But um, it, it's been fun. And it's been interesting watching these Pistons this season. No doubt, Vinny. And I know you keep an eye on them, and, and you're with the Bulls for the last few years working for NBC Sports Chicago. But you look at D- Detroit right now, and at the time that we're recording this, sitting in that eighth spot, uh, needed a win in Memphis on Wednesday and got it, a much-needed win. But as you take a step back and look at the roster and you look at the coaching staff, what are you seeing? I, I see a team that's sort of struggling to find itself right now. Like, I look at a guy like Blake Griffin, and he's trying. He's playing so hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's trying to elevate and lift, you know, this franchise to at least a place where the Clippers were, where, you know, you, you could at least think of them in terms of, a, you know, a championship contender. At least they were on the, you know, the outskirts of it. And he's trying to bring Andre Drummond along with him and have him be more consistent. But, you know, to me, you know, there's two glaring things on this roster that I don't think I'll be, you know, shedding any particular light on. Um, they lack shooting, clearly, and you're trying to figure out where does Reggie Jackson, you know, fit in this. You know, physically, mentally, and schematically, you know, this is not the same player that he was three years ago when he yelped the Pistons, you know, in that late season run, you know, get to the playoffs and have, you know, really this roster, you know, looking up under Stan Van Gundy, and now because Blake is there, he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you know, as much, you know, he's one of those guys who wears his emotions on his sleeve, so you can see, you know, where he, he doesn't necessarily feel like he's in complete control as a point guard on the floor and everything else, but then he has these, you know, certain moments where, you know, you look at him and he'll hit four or five shots in a row, and he'll look in complete control and he'll start to show the glimpses of that point guard who was on the, sort of the outskirts of that top ten conversation, and you're wondering, okay, is he turning the corner now? Because if he does turn the corner, then it's just a completely different ball club. But if he doesn't, then you're kind of stuck in this spot that you can't really get yourself out of, which is obviously better than where they've been the previous, you know, say four or five years when they were just destined for the lottery. I want to go back to the Blake Griffin uh, comment that you made before because 
the one you, word you used, Vinny, was consistent. He's been consistent night in and night out. Floor burns, uh, leading the league in charges, and then, of course, the scoring, rebounding, and, and, and assists. Um, but how do these other guys around him get consistent with him? Uh, you mentioned Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, uh, shooting. I mean, Bullock, one night he scores over 30, and you say he should be in the three-point contest, and then a week goes by and you forget he's on the team. Same with Luke Kennard. How, how do they get those guys to be more consistent, or, or, or are they who they are and that's who they're going to stay you be? I, I kind of trend towards they are who they are, which it's almost one of these one of these things. It's almost like... This guy's not a bad player. You know, that's that's what we in the media, we get sort of caught up in. Well, this guy stinks. He's a bad player. It's not that player X is a bad player. It's more so that he can't, there's not enough around that this player where they can sustain, they can withstand his inconsistencies. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like Reggie Bullock, ideally, is he a guy that you're going to have to depend on night to night to make shots as your best shooter? Maybe same thing goes for Langston Galloway. Same thing goes for Luke Kennard, which I'll contend I cannot figure out why the Pistons did not draft Donovan Mitchell. Like, that will go down as one of the greatest mysteries that I've ever witnessed, like, as a basketball observer, because just knowing how his workout went in Detroit and everything else, and I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but... (laughs) Not, not that we haven't heard before, Vinny, right? No, I, I know, but it's so like you know, I came right. up in the Darko era, where and I was like, that's not going to happen again. Like the burden hand or the one of the like, no, you're going to take the burden hand, right? Take Donovan Mitchell and call it a day, and it didn't happen. And that's and Luke Kennard will forever be linked to Donovan Mitchell. It's a little, it's a little like it's a little like Eric, that. it's a little like Eric Ebron, isn't it? Yeah, oh my God! Yeah. Well, well then, if that's the case. And all you got to do is trade Luke Kennard somewhere, and he's going to turn into an all-star. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, they have to keep him. I mean, I mean, unless there's some sort of big deal. And I, and I was going to ask you about this down the road. You know, sometimes, and our, and our mutual friend Rod Beard will, will tweet this or write this. Well, you know, the Pistons, of course, would love Bradley Beal. Well, the, the Wizards aren't taking Luke Kennard in a first. That, that's not how it works. Right. But right. to me, they need Kennard because. Like you said, they lack shooting, and there are nights he can really fill it up. He, he, here's the thing. A, as a lefty, which which I am, I have a certain level of affection for left-handed three-point shooters. So Luke Kennard will always be sort of a favorite to me. But the shot looks so easy for him. It's just the confidence. Like I talked to Andre Drummond before about Luke, and he said, look, I tell him to shoot the ball every time, and if he doesn't shoot, I get mad at him. And I think you want to have guys with that type of mindset, like the J.J. Redick, I'm going to be the villain, you know, so hate me if you want. But it took J.J. Redick a few years and a few stops to get to that point in his career where he was a credible NBA player. If Luke Kennard is on the same trajectory, you have to be patient with him and be patient with the process and not get rid of him or trade him because he's the lone asset that you got. I'm not a fan of, because we may have made a mistake in free agency with player X or player Y, then we have to compound it by giving up a first-round draft pick who we drafted over a year ago who's on the cost-control salary when salaries are escalating. Like, the draft is so much more important now than what it used to be because of the disparity in salaries, because of the supermaxes and everything else that take up such a huge portion of your cap. You've got to get the draft right and be able to see these players while they're making such a smaller percentage of the cap. And I still think Luke Kennard 
can live up to where he was drafted, even if he's not Donovan Mitchell. Like, take Donovan out of it. If he can be a productive shooter, Matt, for what this team lacks, he's worth his weight in gold. Vince Goodwill, Yahoo Sports, senior NBA writer, uh, joining me here on Wired, the Pistons podcast. All right, uh, you, you mentioned Andre Drummond before. Um, how, how do you, I guess, grade him for 2018-2019 so far? I, I look at him, I won't even say it's a mixed bag. I think that's that's like unfair. But I would say, I would say he's much more consistent than he used to be in my opinion. Like take the free throws down because he's he's down a you know a dozen percentage point, you know, from the free throw line. But those points where he looked disengaged last year, and I think that was in large uh I think the whole Stan Van Gundy drumming the relationship had run its course. And I think he was really disappointed by, you know, the draft night trade that could have went down with Willie Cauley Stein and the number ten pick or whatever it was. And I think that really bothered him. And I think this year with Dwayne Casey and then there's Blake Griffin, you know, he doesn't feel the weight to have to carry this thing on his own. And some guys aren't built for that. Like, like we covered a guy, Rodney Stuckey, who we thought had all the talent in the world but just wasn't built to be that guy 48 minutes a night, 82 games out of the year. And I'm not saying he's a Stuckey in that way. I'm just saying that just because you have the talent doesn't mean that you're necessarily fit to be that you know, that number one guy. Sometimes you're better maximized at being that number two guy because you're what you do best, rebound, block shots when he goes after it, finishes around the rim. Even in today's league where, you know, centers aren't as valuable as they used to be 20, 25 years ago, he still holds a lot of value. And if there's nights where he's on and he's protecting the rim and finishing, then that makes Detroit a different team. But the nights where he's not engaged, you can tell. And that just, to me, shows how important he is to this ball club on a night-to-night basis. And I think you'll agree with me, probably the best thing for Andre Drummond is Dwayne Casey and Blake Griffin. And Blake Griffin, just just their hand on his shoulder once in a while is a complete 180 from what he's been used to. Even going back to his rookie year, and you and I always used to argue about Lawrence Frank. I was a Frank fan. You hated him. Uh, (laughs) 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 But... uh, Andre really hasn't had that kind of guidance uh, his first few years in the league. I know you'll agree with me about that. Absolutely. I mean, there's something about, one thing about Blake, even though his athleticism has declined and everything else, he's not the same athlete that he was, you know, three or four years ago because of the injuries, but nothing's too big for him. Like, this is not daunting to him. Like, he's a star who's used to being a star. And I don't know, I don't know if that's media speak, Matt, or that's something only we sort of on the inside can really understand. It's hard to really explain to, to Joe Fan in that way, but nothing's too big for Blake. So when, and then you, you talk about how he comports himself every day, consistency, being on time, you know, putting forth that level of superstar effort. It may not get superstar results, but he's generally at least giving you a chance to win with his effort. There hasn't been players on this roster that's fit that bill like Josh Smith maybe is, is that what we're saying the, you know the, the closest thing to you know something like that wow that Drummond was around or you know Brandon Jennings when he had his hot streak you, you know what I'm saying a couple of years ago before he got hurt and everything else but then you know when you have the Greg Monroe's and guys like that you had a bunch of guys trying to figure it out and Blake you have a bona fide star who in essence also and you can speak to this can hold Andre accountable when he's not doing the right things, and Andre has to listen to him. 
Do you think enough fans in Detroit, and I know you're in and out of the city uh, when you can be, do you think the fans in Detroit realize what they have in Blake Griffin? I don't think so. I think, and and I remember Tom Wilson said this a few years ago, or a dozen, maybe a dozen years ago, but a long time ago. He says, usually fans don't come back until like a couple years into it, but they don't leave until a couple of years after they should. So it almost kind of balances out. And I think Detroit basketball fans are, in general, basketball nuts. Like, NBA nuts, high school, college. This is a basketball city. I I can say that as a native of Detroit. I can say that as someone who lived here for, you know, 30 years of my life, that you can rarely go anywhere inside or outside the city and have a not have a basketball conversation or not be able to strike up a basketball conversation. The problem is, because there's been such a lack of a connection between the Pistons franchise and winning and the high expectations that, you know, this fan base has had over the past 30-plus years, you know, it's going to take them a minute to come back. Like, I think when they see Blake, they're like, okay, cool, Blake. We've had the high flyer. We've had the superstar. Go out and win some games. You go win some games, we'll come back. Like, remember, they beat Golden State. Packed house at the, you know, at Little Caesars Arena. Sure. And you were like, okay, if they spin this into three or four or five straight wins, then you'll start seeing the fans really, really invest. And then they go out and lay an egg the next night. Like the very next game, there was that emotional letdown. And Dwayne Casey and a lot of the players, I remember reading it because I wasn't in town, saying, we let our fans know we missed a golden opportunity. So they know what's at stake here. And the, the Detroit basketball fan has been, Matt, can we say spoiled? It's, it's yeah, no, decades? it's been it's been this very hit or miss. You're right. Even when Grand Hill was here, the Teal exactly. era, uh, crowds were decent at the Palace, but th- there was never a love affair between the fans and Grant, unfortunately. And then you, you now you take a step back and look at it and go, wow, did he really put those numbers up for those many years? But you're right. Other, you know, bad boys going to work, and then now you're kind of waiting for that that, that third. Uh, tier, I guess, or third third wave, and I, I don't disagree with you. I, I'll say this: the one thing I, I like about Dwayne Casey, and you just brought this up, he's done this now a couple of times, where he's come forward and said, "Look, I'm sorry. We apologize to our fans for how we're playing." There, that accountability, and, and you remember when you first started on the beat, there was never that. It was always front office pointed fingers at the coach, the coach pointed fingers upstairs. Um, for Casey to come out I, I this past week and say, hey, first thing I want to say is, I think he looked right at Johnny Kane and, at, at FSD and said, I'm apologizing to our fans for our performance. I, I thought that was awesome. I think something like that, Matt, goes a long way. Even if the fans are on, like, in the sort of shallow end of investing, you know, sometimes a fan will give you one shot. And once, and if you give him something, then he'll come back and he'll keep coming back. But you got to give him something to come back to. And at times it seems like right when they've had a golden opportunity, it's not just been this season, it's been the past few seasons where you wondered, like, they're close to turning the corner. And I was here for games three and four of that playoff series against Cleveland in 2016. Like, I came to town for it. 
Never got to cover a playoff team as a beat writer here. <laughs> might as well come and do it. Any, might as well come and just be here. Sure. I just want to take in the atmosphere. I want to see if there was a level of investment, even though it was a one eight, even though the two best players on the floor were on the opposite end and one almost LeBron James. That crowd was into it. They were there. They were invested. People didn't may not have liked Stanley Johnson's words about him saying that, what he said about LeBron, but they liked the bravado. They liked the attitude. They liked the, the, the development of an identity. And I think that's the one thing that we can say that this team has to develop is some portion of an identity for the fans to invest in, to jump on. And I don't think it's going to take much. This fan has been starving for something to invest into. They don't like, you know, having to watch Cleveland celebrate or Cleveland having been a contender or Chicago having been a contender. They want to be a part of this conversation. It's up to the Pistons franchise and the players to be able to put forth the requisite effort, I think, to, you know, reward those fans' hopes and wishes. And then I think you'll start to see a more symbiotic relationship. Vincent Goodwill with me from Yahoo Sports. Of course, covered the Pistons for many years for the Detroit News, Detroit Native. And I mentioned before about about trades and everything else. Uh, and fans love talking about it. I know you, you get into it with fans on Twitter, and I, I know your email blows up when it gets close to the trade deadline. But what do you see as something realistic for the Pistons? Or is it, hey, with the way the contracts are structured and everything else, there's not really that much they can do? Well, I, I think here's the thing. When you have a new front office that comes in and, and they know that basically anything that they do, they'll have to give up an asset. And what that asset is, Luke Kennard, or Stanley Johnson going into a restricted free agency or a first-round pick. You have to be very careful about that because this wasn't a situation that you created. And you can go into the offseason with players a year you know, a, a year removed from their contracts. The salary cap is going to make another mini, mini jump so their flexibility will open up and you'll be more adept to make trades in the offseason like Here's my question would be, if you want to make a trade this season, <clears throat> would the goal be, let's catch Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, Toronto, and get there? Like, what move What move can get you a step closer to there that will not sacrifice future assets? And I don't know if there's necessarily a move out there right now. So if you're, if you're not elevating yourself into that conversation, then... And maybe there's a move where you can get a shooter on the roster, which I think is the easiest thing, Matt, in today's game to find on the open market. It's probably cheap shooting. Okay, fine, do that. But as far as a difference maker, a third difference maker on the roster, I don't know if they have the assets to make that type of move yet. Okay, Bradley Bill. You know how many other teams would love to have Bradley Bill? Let's compare your offer to what Chicago could offer or what the Knicks could offer or what the Nets could offer. You don't want to give up something that you don't have to in order to make a minimal game. You have to be patient with this process. And you can say with Stan Van Gundy, maybe he got a little impatient with some of the personnel moves that he made. He thought he was a little bit closer than he was. He made a couple of personnel moves that did not work out, and you're in this situation. You don't need to compound it by making another one just to say we did something. But I, I look at the East right now, and it's pretty clear. There's a top five. There's a middle five, and then there's everybody else. So, like you said, Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, Boston, and Indiana, that's one through five to me in April. Pistons are in that six, seven, eight range, nine, ten, with 
Miami and Charlotte and Brooklyn and Orlando, and then there's everybody else, and obviously the Wizards now, Wall's out, Markeith's out, you know, so Washington, Atlanta, Chicago, so that bottom five, they're they're staying where they are, so it's an interesting spot. I mean, I guess I would ask you, are the Pistons a playoff team? Well, they're kind of fighting with those other four, Miami, Charlotte, Brooklyn, and Orlando for three spots. Will they make it? I think they will, and I think as much as I'm saying, like, you know, talking about pressure and not having pressure, I think it's imperative that this team make the playoffs this season. I really do. I think you can't sell to your fans that you're moving in the right direction and that you have two high-priced players in Drummond and Blake who should be all-stars this year. You, you, you may have two all-stars. Not many other teams in the Eastern Conference can say that, aside from a Toronto or maybe Milwaukee or Philadelphia. You know what I'm saying? Those, yeah. those teams. Yep. Most, most teams that have two all-stars, let alone one, all playoff teams, you're going to have two. So I think there should be a, a certain amount of pressure, even if it is just to get six through eight. Get in there, get the experience, see who's made for it and who isn't. Give your fans something to hold on to going into the draft, going into free agency, going into the offseason. They can latch on to and say, okay, we're moving in the right direction. And it's interesting because, you know, we both have mutual friends in the business that say, let's tank and get a pick. This team never, ever, ever has luck on on draft lottery night. Like, ever. No matter if they're a a, a 20-win team, a 40-win team, whatever, 38-win team, they just, that that ping-pong ball never bounces for them. And I'm kind of with you on that. It would be kind of embarrassing to slide down to 9 or 10 and, and... and have your name mentioned with some of these other directs in the bottom of the East. I mean, here's my, my thing, Matt, is if you want fans to invest and you want to create this, you know, connection, this relationship, then you have to have high standards internally for yourself. You can't say, oh, well, fans come out and invest in us regardless of where we are. Like, they aren't the Detroit Lions. They're one playoff win in 50 years and fans are going to come out regardless. Like, Basketball fans, to me, it's like a relate. It, it is like a it is like a relationship. <laughs> you ever date? I've, I've dated. I've dated someone. I won't name her, and hopefully she's just not listening to this. And she used to say to me all the time, "I'm only I'm only used to how you treat me." So where are we going? With I this? say that. Okay, wait. But, hey, well, trust me. Trust me. The love, the love doctor. The love doctor is, ste- is stepping in here. Oh, so I, I'm only used to how you treat me which is to say you've set a standard and you have to live up to it. What I'm saying is the Pistons franchise has to create a standard for itself. I'm not saying make the playoffs or you get fired, but come out and implicitly saying the playoffs are a goal this season, and if we don't make the playoffs, it'll be a disappointment. And hold yourself accountable, not in terms of firing or anything like that, but just saying, look, we have two all-stars, we have decent, we have the potential to have decent shooting, not many teams have what, what we have potentially. There's no reason why we shouldn't make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And if we don't, it'll be a failure. And I think when you start holding yourself to that higher standard, then the fans will get more invested. Then the players will start to feel that and feel like there's an expectation that they have performed. I think it's a very good point, Vinny. Uh, Vinny Goodwill, Yahoo Sports. All right, you, you wrote a column uh, the other day about LeBron James Obviously, LeBron is coming forward with many behind-the-scenes videos of his documentary, and there was a snippet the other day of him saying he thinks he's the greatest of all time based on 
knocking off the Warriors in 2016 uh, in the finals and taking the Cavs to a championship for the first time, and the first championship in the city of Cleveland since the 1960s with the Browns. Uh, what was your take on it, and, and, and you know, do you think he is the GOAT? Do I think that he is? No. But my thing would be, I don't have a huge problem with him believing it. I think if you ask someone, like, who's your top four favorite singers? Like, you may say Prince or Michael Jackson or Marvin Gaye or whoever, right? And any of those people that are alive would have the, would have the case to argue, okay, yeah, I'm at the top of the mountain. If you, Once you're in the conversation, you have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. Do I believe he's the greatest player ever? No. Do I have a problem with him believing it? No. Do I have a problem with him even saying it? Not as much, but it's, Matt, we've talked about this before. He's the master of narrative. He has, it it came out right before his birthday. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I'm sorry. He came out right before his birthday, and it's, you know, clearly an ESPN production, and they wanted to start a conversation about it, and he felt that way. And who's going to challenge him? And, you know, Maverick Carter and Rich Paul and Randy Mills, all great guys. Are they going to challenge him and say, LeBron, we think you're wrong? Or is this just the first <laughs> yeah. time that they've had this conversation in front of camera? Like, if you get Michael Jordan in a room somewhere with Ahmad Rashad and a couple of his Nike executives that he's been around for, you know, 30 or 40 years, and he says, I'm the greatest of all time, who's going to say no? Right. And, and I think so that and, and I think I think LeBron... I, I think he's going to Mount Rushmore. Sure. I find it very weird, the timing of this whole thing, and I understand they're trying to sell videos and, and, and their networks and everything else that they're doing, and like you said, the four horsemen are doing all they can to continue to build their brand, but um, to me, and I think Chauncey Billups said it best, it was Kyrie Irving that really hit that you know that, that Jordan-esque shot or the Steve Kerr-like shot, although Jordan passed it to him. Um, you know, in that big spot to win it. And it was almost like if LeBron would have hit that shot or hit a buzzer beater, not that it made that championship any smaller or, or lesser in that city that was starving for it, then maybe we could have that discussion. And, and plus, he's only won three, and he's only halfway to where to where Jordan was. Well, here's the thing that I feel about the whole last shot conversation. I don't penalize you if you don't make the last shot. But you do get extra points if you if you make it. Like, at some point, stars have to be stars. And we put a lot on them as far as pressure. LeBron has had the most pressure out of any player in NBA history. And he's lived up to it. He's probably exceeded the hype, which is hard. It's hard for, to believe, honestly. So he makes the right basketball play all the time. And I give him all the credit for that. But I will say there comes a time where stars have to take it on their shoulders and say, you know what? Win or lose, this is going to be on me. And some guys are more wired for that than others. And Kyrie literally just has a don't care attitude where he's one of the best clutch shot makers ever. Ever. So I don't have a problem with LeBron deferring to him, but I will say his argument would be a lot more sound. I could understand his argument if he had made that last shot. He made the block on Andre Iguodala. He definitely made the block that kept the game tied. It was a slog and everything else. But let me go back to 2016. Let me see if you remember that series, Matt. Who were the two best players in that series? 
uh, Kyrie Irving and uh, Steph Curry? No, I mean like LeBron. Oh, oh. LeBron and LeBron and Kyrie <laughs> were the two best players in that series. Okay. So if that's the case, is it really an upset if you got the two best players in the series? Well, no, no question. But but I guess the, the people that go against LeBron, and I'm with you about is he in the conversation? Of course he is. I've always been a Wilt guy because my dad. Me growing up, I mean, that's all he used to talk about. And he said, right. you, you have no idea how great he was. And then I argued with people about it. And they say, oh, Wilt was a ball hog. And I said, yeah. The one year he was, they, they called him a ball hog, he went out and led the league in assists as a center. No, and that will never happen again. So, but, you know, the two biggest shots, like you said, that propelled LeBron to championships, one was hit by somebody else, Ray Allen, with the Miami. And then the other one was by, by Kyrie. And so... I don't know. It, it made your column was definitely interesting and 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 makes you think a little bit. But it, it's part of the great discussion that that fuels the NBA each and every day. Absolutely, and and Michael Jordan had the benefit. Like I don't remember, and I was a kid. I don't remember the greatest ever conversation being so prevalent in the nineties. I don't feel like we had those conversations as a media and the basketball public the way that we do now. So when Michael came along he was able to sort of create the narrative of what the greatest player should look like. And it was so easy because he struggled early, he broke through, he stayed there. Okay, he retired. Baseball sabbatical. Shagging some fly balls. Swinging and missing big, right? And curveballs. Couldn't hit a curveball to save his life. Sure. Then he comes back and wins three more championships. That's easy for us to ration and say, He's the greatest player ever because he took and made most of the big shots, not all, but 95% of he made. He didn't fall and have to really get back up. He was there. He stayed there. It wasn't like Kobe Bryant where he went three championships as a sidekick and everything else, and the, and the conversation becomes convoluted. Michael Jordan was always the man. He always took on that responsibility. He never you know, ran from it. He never deferred, even if it wasn't the right basketball decision. So that's that's the template of how we became to judge basketball players. And there was no fault of Michael Jordan's or LeBron James's, but that's how we judged them because there was no template before it. And now LeBron has had to follow that template in our eyes, and he hasn't, quote-unquote, lived up to it because he left Cleveland twice, because he went to Miami, because of all the other things that happened with it. But nobody's going to have a career like Michael Jordan. And you'll notice, like I noticed, these, the NBA sucked in the 90s. Uh, it wasn't as com- it wasn't as competitive as it is now. I agree with that. The Pat yeah. Riley Knicks completely made the game ugly. Your guy Mike Fratello made games like seventy three to sixty nine. That was entertaining. Sure, no, horrible. Well, you're right. Yeah, I, I, hey, I mean, you, you even you can even go back to Popovich when he finally got the Spurs going. I mean, you're right. Mm-hmm. Some of those some of those low scoring games, the the Pistons Celtics playoff series. If it was the first year or the second year, oh my goodness! With Rick Carlisle, where you know it was Antoine Walker and Pierce against you know yeah. Damon Jones, and before Chauncey even got there, and those games were in the six; those scores were in the sixties, if I recall. One of them in in Boston under Rick, uh, Rick's first year. You're right, but that's how they had to play to win. But it wasn't like it is now, where teams are putting up a buck thirty a night. It's crazy, right? It's, it's a different game, and I really think it's hard to it's hard for the LeBron fans to compare the eras in, in, in the games. Because a lot of times LeBron fans have just been introduced to basketball over the past 15 years. Like, like, a little I, bit of us old and grizzled people, we've seen basketball <laughs> for the better part of 30 years. 
Like, Excuse me. So we have a different view. I watched the Clippers the other night. It might have been against the Lakers. They they do not defend at all. Like they they give up, and I'm looking it up. They give up 115 points a game, and they're the sixth seed in the West. They're two. They're they're a game back of being in the third. They're three games back of being the three seed. So it's definitely changed. All right, Vinny. One more thing. Uh, yeah. At the end of the season, who will be the the one seed in the East, and who will be the one seed in the West? Who wins the regular season? Uh, and, and goes in as the top seeds, would you say? I would say in the West, the number one seed would be Oklahoma City, although I believe Golden State will make a strong run at the end of the season when they decide to wake up. And when they decide to wake up in, like, February and realize, okay, we want to play this year, I think Oklahoma City will probably be around 58-59 wins. I think they're really, really good. And defensively, I think they're fantastic. In the East, I do think it's going to be Toronto – because I think Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the conference, and I do believe that they have some young stars over there, young stars in the making, Pascal Siakam, and obviously Kyle Lowry is a mainstay once he gets his back right and everything else. I like what they're doing over there. I like, you know, even though, you know, the Dwayne Casey situation obviously left, left the bad taste in people's mouth. I like the roster over there, and I like the level of experience and top-level talent that they have. So I would say Toronto and Oklahoma City. Vince, great catching up with you, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Matt. There's the man, Vincent Goodwill, lead writer, senior writer for YahooSports.com, covering the NBA. For many years, covered the Pistons, of course, at the Detroit News before moving on to Chicago. And now he's in New York covering the league for Yahoo Sports. That'll do it for this week's edition and installment of Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented to you by Jeep. My name is Matt Derry. We'll talk to you next week as the Pistons are on the road out on the West Coast.